You're listening to the Bass Lessons Melbourne podcast. Episode 23, Jonathan Marin. Hey guys, how you doing? Um, Craig here from Bass Lessons Melbourne again. And for today's player profile um, video, I'm joined by Jonathan Maron. Maron? Maron. Ma- not Maron. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, thanks for coming around, man. Yeah. It's been, it's been great hanging out. Um, and you're in town playing with uh, Donnie, mm-hmm. Donnie McCaslin. How's that been going? It's been great. Um, yeah. yeah, jet-lagged but happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. So you guys played Sydney last night? Played Sydney last night at the basement. And um, yeah. it's a great show, and, and here we are. Yeah, and who else is in that band? So it's uh, it, it, the, on this on this leg, it's Zach Danziger on drums. Okay. Um, and it's always Jason Linder on on synthesizers and piano. Okay. Yeah. So he's kind of his right hand man for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those guys. Yeah. Are, sure. are pretty. Yeah. Pretty consistent. Yeah. And um, like, have you have you been playing that gig for long, or I mean, have you done? Lots of stuff in that style before. Um, you mean like I mean uh, that style? I guess would be like sort of electric jazz with elements of improvisation and yeah, electronic music and yeah. I mean it's you know I guess I have. Um, uh, you know I used to play with um, this trombonist named Josh Roseman, who if you don't know is worth look. He's kind of incredible. Um, and he used to lead these bands. He and I were in Groove Collective together. Right. Um, and he he would write all this insane music um, we, that we used to play. And um, <laughs> in some strange way, this feels like an extension of that, or just like a like the next evolution. Yeah, I mean, just it, it's there's some there's some connection, and th- I think that connection is also that um, it's kind of a New York thing too. Sure. Um, you know, Donnie's been in New York for a long time. Um, I don't remember the original question that you asked me, but is this, is, have I played this kind of music before? I've never played Donnie's music before, but I have, there's something about this that and seems so, sort of familiar and comfortable. And, yes. and like you're saying, it seems to be kind of a New York sound, would that be right? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously Donnie's got his very own specific take on it and a really, really clear personality. But there is um, kind of this collection of musicians like, you know, Mark Juliana, mm. like... Um, I don't know if, if beat, beat music is a bit, can it fall into that category or is that... You know, um, yeah, I mean, the, the music be. is super different. You know, yeah. Mark's, Mark's stuff is, is different, but then he brings so much of himself to Donnie's stuff. So it's it's all like... There's all this cross pollination, and it's um, uh, it's just it's these these sort of sounds because there's so much room for improvisation. You have these these personalities that become really present sure. in, in other people's it music, yeah, in, in a different way, yeah. Um, and Zach Danziger, you've played with him a fair bit before mm-hmm. before this setup, yeah, in different incarnations. Yeah, I mean, Zach. My experiences with Zach have usually been, you know, back in back in the 90s uh, <laughs> you know th- there was you know, Jojo Meyer had had his has like drum and bass party that, yeah. that they would do um, and obviously Tim Tim Lefebvre would would uh, would would play almost all the time but occasionally I was in there too having, oh, cool. and and that was also with Zach so there was sort of I guess I guess my my relationship with those guys goes goes back to around that time sure yeah uh, I mean, so how, how old were you kind of when that was happening, and if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, 90s. you know, I mean, I'm trying to think, was that like late 90s? So it was, you know, late 20s. Yeah, right. Yeah. And what was, it, I mean, what was it like playing with Jojo in that scenario? I mean, that was kind of like his home turf, right? Yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, for me, um, yeah, it was really natural for me because I was always into, I was, I've always been in, I mean, I've always been interested in hip hop, in electronic mm. music, in dance music, like more than more than jazz. That's kind of sure. Um, that's kind of my background. I, I, if I have a background, I mean, I, I have. I've always loved that music. I've always loved messing around with pedals, um, like the sonics of it. Yeah, is attractive. I'm yeah, guessing. and Jojo used to come down to to this club where I used to play, which was more of like a more of like an I guess they would call it an acid jazz like DJ night um, and Jojo would come play so he and I we already had like a really clear hookup um, I don't know yeah it was it was a natural fit like what I do fits what he does fits there yeah yeah because yeah. I mean you, you see him I was actually just watching a bunch of nerve nerve videos the other day and he's, it's really um, explosive his mm-hmm. playing it can be you know I'm just wondering how how you how you deal with those that kind of scenario live on stage because I know when you're in those improvisational elements that's not a a jazz mm-hmm. context you know there is a danger that everybody just ramps up yeah and it becomes a noise especially with pedals and and that mm-hmm. kind of thing so I guess what my question is is like going down the the sonics and the pedals route was that an avenue where you could maybe decide to play less but get get more yeah exactly I mean I I think it's you know there's a level of commitment like making a really big statement but knowing that you're gonna have to commit to that for a while like yeah sure for better or for worse you're gonna go in that direction like if you come in with a really really big sound or play something that's a really really clear theme that it's the best thing for the music is to commit to that and if it wasn't you, you kind of like make it make it better as you go yeah um but there's definitely a kind of commitment and as far as like you know when there's that much subdivision in the music like jojo's um 
like his his pocket's phenomenal and Zach's same thing like yeah. just like there is this tremendous amount of facility but there's also like for sure yeah as soon as they play a bar of yeah. time use like yeah yeah everybody's happy yeah um <laughs> So there's like there's enough subdivision there so that the bass's role can be a little can, mm. I mean can longer phrases longer notes yeah more laying out textural almost yeah, yeah. Um, and this was kind of during Groove Collective mm -hmm. times yeah yeah was were you bringing some of that stuff into the Groove Collective sound or yeah we were we was we kind of I mean it, it was not the yeah, Groove Collective was definitely experimenting also with um, just like tons of analog synths and yeah. pedals and yeah. Yeah, and what, what do you think it was that, that drew you to that in the, in the first place? Which? The, the pedals and the sounds and, and the bass in terms of taking that role in the band as opposed to the, the outbreak kind of thing or whatever. I mean, uh, I think, well, for me, it's always just been about like having a certain kind of impact and my aesthetic has always been kind of wanting wanting the bass line just to come in and sound like not like that bass player is really great, although it's nice people say nice things about me, but but just almost like the kind of reaction be like, yo, I love that record. Like it's it's a strong theme and there's so many records where the sound of the bass is kind of, is such a important part. Sure. Like if you take a super like bright new string bass and play some classic bass line off a record if it like you know the sound they the sound to. doesn't live with the right with this, sure, this yeah, the yeah. part doesn't you can yeah you know what i'm saying the, the sound of the bass this is the sound of jet lag and yeah the, yeah <laughs> and and the, and the the part that you're playing they go hand in hand yeah so i mean pedals like have been sort of my way to like get these parts to live like i have these parts and these like bass lines in my head that i want to really i want them to speak in a certain way and come in and have a certain impact and sometimes it's about like a big scene change like yeah. just you know and then interestingly enough like the pedal stuff is great for live um when i've recorded with pedals i find more and more that the thing i want to hear almost more than anything is a really perfect electric bass sound without any effects on it and the effects I'm much su more subtle with when I'm recording stuff it's like you need much less yeah. and sometimes none um, whereas like live you kick you click on a pedal just to like get the the energy yeah yeah no I think I think that's probably true that live in a live scenario you create you can create energies in a different way than you would on on a record hey. <laughs> how about that let me turn that off oh good um Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like in in the studio, the idea of creating energy because it's in a more controlled environment, I guess you can leave more of that to other instruments and other elements mm -hmm. that are happening in the music, as opposed to taking on more of that yourself yeah. in a live setting. I guess. Yeah. Um, and even even sort of like in, in the way, but even bringing that back to the live stuff. Like it's fun to, it's it's fun to sort of get the the adrenaline effect of like kicking on a bunch of crazy pedals, but mm -hmm. it's I, I feel like I'm happiest when I'm doing sort of equal parts recording and playing live. Um, I notice that my I'm able to accomplish that much more economically live because I'm more I'm, I'm I'm being a little more restrained with that. Where if I'm doing all live stuff, then it's sometimes just more and more and more yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, right, interesting. 
And was there, um, have there been bass players who have um, maybe influenced your your sound and your tone that you've developed over the years? Going from the pure tone to, to getting your first pedal, was there some guys you were like, that's yeah, I mean, the sound of the bass that I... Yeah, I mean, Bootsy to. Collins is my sure. hero. Um, mm. uh, I mean, I, I saw... Um, like there, there are a couple of shows that I saw in a short period of time that kind of changed the way I hear bass. And one of I don't, um, one of them was the Gap Band with this bass player Robert Wilson who passed a couple of years ago. That's funky. Yeah, and just and just kind of super aggressive P bass playing, but just it just just incredible. Yeah. Um, and I had been playing an '80s Yamaha before, but that was sort of after I heard him play. That's when I realized like. I don't really ever want to hear the bridge pickup ever again. Right. Like, so that was probably early '90s. I heard the Gap Band play, um, so that that had a big impact on me. I was listening to like a lot of the Herbie Hancock stuff with Paul Jackson on it. Yeah. And at the time, I was that that had a big a big impact on me. And then seeing Bootsy Collins play live was life changing. Yeah. Um, I I can't really describe it like it's just I mean you know what he sounds like yeah but unless you've but to be in the it. space and just eat, there was there's this one um, I don't know if it's like there's a song called rather be with you um, where it's like it's his, it's like his slow jam it's it's kind of famous like he 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 winds up like playing this like ridiculously face melting solo <laughs> but he's also laying out for long periods of time yeah right and the way that he sort of just laid out and just like barely touched the groove and then he would just come in and play a little thing but it would be so heavy and so and then he was yeah. out again for 16 bars um so just i don't know um was that uh rubber band or the, or it was like some version some of it i mean this is 90s so it's right okay it's you know Maybe there was one or two of the original guys. From, I can't keep up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, so Bootsy and oh, what was the guy from the Gap Band? Robert Wilson. Robert Wilson. Yeah. Cool. And you were you were playing bass at this point? I'm guessing. Oh yeah. I mean, this yeah. was yeah. I was already in Groove Collective. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Already doing stuff. So yeah. going going back then, how? how oh, even how before you, that. How did you first? Yeah, get into the bass and Beatles. stuff. Beatles. Beatles. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Was that through your parents? Yeah, my dad brought home Magical Mystery Tour. Okay. And I don't know. I mean, that that didn't lead directly to the bass. That just sort of led to love of music and yep. their music. Um, and then a few years later, like when I was already playing saxophone and piano, for some reason my father brought home Romantic Warrior by um, Return to Forever. Okay. It's like a fusion record. But actually got some, like... Some there's some really great things on there, and Stanley Clark is is like I, I love his playing. Yeah. Um, and that that uh, that really got in there too somehow. That was exciting music. Yeah. Yeah. And like yeah, Lenny White and Stanley Clark together are just there's yeah it's bananas how good they are. And um, and then the sort of um, stereotypical you're in middle school and they say like we need a bass player because we're starting the jazz band. Yeah. So. Right. <laughs> So I started playing, and um, I had a teacher who was like, I was 12, he was 16, and he became like my older brother, and he was taking me to shows, ah, and... There you go, yeah. Um, like, yeah, so at 12, like, we were going to see, we saw Jocko play, the, the Word of Mouth Big Band, we no, saw Return well. Forever play. Where, um, where is this? Where, where are you New going? New York. In New York, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
Wow. So we were going to, yeah, I saw, I saw Miles play um, the, with Daryl Jones and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah, so that was, that was pretty, it's pretty amazing to see those things at that age. Yeah, yeah, you're probably like the last generation to, to mm-hmm. catch that, to be able to catch that. Yeah. And then he himself, this, this, uh, his, his name is Roland Wilson, he doesn't actually, he's, he still plays, but I, I wish he would play more. Yeah. Um, but he himself was like a surprisingly evolved player for being 16. Like he was already working out all this stuff. And, and so having kind of a front row seat, like just hanging with him, like, and just, he was working out all this chordal stuff and all this really, just a really creative, yeah. really great musician. So yeah, it was, that, that was a big influence too. Yeah, cool. And I'm guessing, you know, when you see somebody like that with your instrument, that's kind of how you think mm-hmm. it should be. So when, when you got into it, were you diving head first and just kind of bananas about the bass from day one? Yeah, I mean, I've been obsessed from yeah. the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you too, I bet. Yeah, yeah, Brian, yeah. I want to go first base. You know, I just, I had the blisters and, yeah. like I was saying in the car, you know, I'd screw things until I discovered what happened for better or for mm-hmm. worse. You know, I just got, like, you, you know, like you do when you're a teenager, you get obsessed with football or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, mine, mine was definitely, definitely base. Yeah. Um, so then Groove Collective happened pretty early on. Yeah, I mean, I think I was, um, I was 20 or 21. Yeah. Um, definitely the youngest guy in the band and I actually it's it's funny I had two groups uh, around that time there's a band called repercussions and a and a band called Groove Collective and like both bands got signed to Warner Brothers like when I was 21 or 22 um, <laughs> and so like and like a nice record deals like going to the studio for months like wow. working on records budgets and like and I really, it's funny because then I was just like, this is that, this music business is not so hard. Like I, I mean, I had done like my fair amount of like small like gigs for no money, but not really. Like I had done no paying of any dues whatsoever. <laughs> like, so it's, I kind of did that in reverse. But my first, yeah, my first two experiences with bands are like both of the bands that and I started, that, was, uh, that I was in, like were on Warner Brothers. So I was like, oh, music is easy. Yeah, right. But yeah, I've, I've since learned otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. like, how, how did you balance that being on a major label with two bands at the same time? Um, it just was it some of the same guys and yeah, it was some of the same same rhythm section. Okay. Both bands. Right. Um, you know, there was. I guess some, that would make it easier. Yeah. Going, hey, we've got a gig. Hey, we've got a gig. Yeah. And you're the only one that can yeah. do both. And Groove Collective was kind of the live. Groove Collective was always playing. Yeah. And the other band was sort of like writing songs and doing an occasional, like it was much more sort of studio based. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is Groove Collective still a thing? You know, kind of. We haven't really been active lately. There's some talk that we'll get together and do something else. Yeah. Um, everyone's kind of off doing their own thing. So. Sure. It could be. Yeah, I could say no or yes, but it's not, yeah. Yeah. Kind of no, kind of yes. I mean,. And- Everybody wants, it's like we're, it's all family. Sure. Like, um, and I'm actually, I mean, I'm going to be seeing Barney McCall, who's in the band for a long time. I'm going to be seeing him tomorrow. Like, yeah. okay. so it's like, those are my brothers. We grew up together. Yeah, this, yeah. You know, that's the way I see it. So we always talk about doing stuff, but, but we also have all yeah. been doing our own thing, which is good too. Yeah. Um, and we, you were writing in Groove Collective, like writing mm-hmm. the songs and stuff. How do you feel like, that side of you has changed? Um, 
You know, well, I think, you know, writing for me in the beginning would be that I was coming up with a baseline that was sort of catchy enough to be the basis of a song. And I that that's still I still write from the bass plenty. I mean, that's still like I would love to I, I love songs where the baseline is the whole song. Like like yeah. that's, you know. <laughs> Uh, I mean, all songs should yeah, be Yeah, right, much. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why haven't people figured yeah. this out yet? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah, they haven't gotten the memo. Um, so th- I think my writing was really that, like me with a bass in my hands in a rehearsal studio or, or even just improvising live, and that would be like, oh, that's a song. And then we'd like yeah. kind of take it from there. So that's how, that was sort of my writing in the beginning. And then, you know, since then I've obviously, like I've, Find it. Yeah, I mean, I have access to pen and paper and Sibelius and like <laughs> yeah, and, and, and logic. You were talking about you use logic. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I've I'm, I write more than just bass lines. Sure. Um, and actually, I did then also, but there was you know ten people in that band, so yeah, it was the most valuable thing for me was to plug in the bass, turn it up loud, and play something <laughs> worth listening to. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, are you like myself, where you have like a hard drive full of like ideas and grooves yes. and riffs and yeah. things that you just run out of names for? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you go back and revisit them and flesh them out? Or is it in the moment, if it's not happening, you just kind of move on and document um, it? Yeah, uh, I don't, I do go back to them, but I'm, <clears throat> I've been really, really bad at finishing things and releasing them, which mm. is why uh, it's like I re- I, I've reread like kind of interviews I've done where like I'm talking about like my upcoming album due out in fall of 2014 or like it's it's uh yeah like I I do write a lot I do record myself a lot I develop the stuff and yet it's it has not I've not crossed the finish line resulted into yeah a piece of piece of art so to speak I mean really the thing that works for me really well is being a creative part of a project where someone else ultimately is going to make sure it gets finished. Like I love collaborating. Show, yeah. Yeah. I love collaborating where someone else is, is responsible for finishing to, it. To bounce off yeah. ideas with as well. Yeah. I'm also a lot freer when I'm working with somebody else. I'm a lot more inclined to be kind of my full creative self. Yeah. Right. When I'm in, when I'm driving, like I get much more conservative and I'm like, I'm sort of pulling things back sometimes. Interesting, you'd think it would be the other way around, mm. you know? Well, you know, it's funny, it's like there's a there's a real trust thing. It's like when I record for people at home, like do you do that where you people send files back and forth? Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're sort of on your own, I've gotten better with this actually, I have, ha- I've sort of tricked myself into being like fully creative and loose. Um, but when I would record for people, when it's me at home, I, wind, I would wind up being super conservative because I'm like, all right, well, it's just me like playing. Like I can't yeah. imagine what's gonna have, what they're gonna like. So you know, you'll play what's mellow verse, like yeah. a little more on the chorus, like a fill into the like it's you know yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's uh, when you're you know when you're in the studio with the person who's when you're recording with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, you you get immediate feedback and it kind of gives you the you can play a take and be like you know I'm just gonna play a ton of crazy shit and see what yeah what actually works and that might be the performance or the basis of the idea at least sure yeah um, but without that yeah immediate feedback it's hard yeah. to do that and as a writer and a player I feel that too like when I'm with somebody else that feedback allows me to be a lot looser and a lot 
I, it's, it's funny. I guess I'm in some ways less self-conscious. Like, yeah, with sure. with a real person rather than with the imaginary person with a frowny face saying, like, you should never play. Like, you know, <laughs> Don't go above the seventh part. fret. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, and I also think as well, like the whole home recording and demo and thing, it's, it's a form of practice. Mm -hmm. You know, you're refining those skills of of listening back, hearing yourself in relation to whatever else is going on, yeah. tone manipulation, mm -hmm. um, and just finding the right baseline for wh whatever it is that you're you're trying to write to. Yeah, that's a for me, you know, that's a way of practicing being in a band without mm -hmm. having the band around. I guess yeah. so. Even if it hasn't resulted in an album, it's de I'd say it's probably been a massive part of your development, playing wise. Yeah, I, 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 I think so too. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, at least there's this at least there's a space where um, where I go to de develop these 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 parts of my playing and writing that aren't necessarily ready to bring onto a stage like there's all this like um, yeah there's lots of like strange things that I would work on in my house that yeah it's not it's not ready for yeah. to, to be part of someone else's song or to be part of something I'm writing it's just yeah, so it's good to have have those spaces available. Like just you're just exercising that part. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and getting back to the the tone thing, um, how do you do you think that your tone has changed over the years? Um, yeah, I think you know I so I do think it has has changed. I think I've gotten some combination of technique and intention and um, you know for a while I was experimenting with a lot of different bases and I was um, I have a house full of like kooky like hollow bodies and short scale bases sure, and yeah. um, and different stuff like that because that's that's kind of the neighborhood that I, I like the most for for sounds um, sort of like a dark sound with a certain amount of percussion on it. Yeah, I saw yeah. a video of you playing like an old Gibson. Oh yeah, I've got that in that gig bag. Oh in there. cool, yeah. the, the red thing? Yeah. 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 That's hundred percent Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll, I'll have to, you gotta check it out. Yeah, we'll, go. we'll get out before you go. Um, but uh, it's funny, so, I, so I've, I've experimented with a lot of different stuff and I would do lots of stuff where I'd bring five bases to, if I'm recording something, to yeah. have all these options. And I think that's really informed my playing and my approach and now I feel like for the most part I can get I can sort of channel those sounds and approaches on like one P bass. I can I mean it's 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 nice to plug in a Gibson yeah. style bass and just get that sound, have that done. But yeah. um <clears throat> I feel like playing all those different kinds of instruments instruments has kind of informed my technique to the point where I can kind of channel it. Sure. Like kind of try and pull it onto yeah. the one instrument thing. Yeah. I mean I don't you know yeah, my sound has definitely changed. Um, I don't know. Ex I, I don't know exactly where I'm going, but I know that it, things are evolving. Like that's that's been kind of a cool. I think that's probably the thing I'm proudest of is I know that I'm a very different bass player like than I was 25 years ago or 20 years ago or yeah. 15. Like I know I know it's heading somewhere. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know, and I, I think it's someplace good. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's you know. I don't think you'll ever know, and, yeah. you'll, and you'll never get there. Yeah. Or you'll get there, but you won't realize it, and yeah. you'll just keep going, right? Yeah. But it's funny. It's like it took it took it took a lot for me to realize that, um, like the things that I'm practicing are not going to find their way into my playing mm. that night. 
like you I mean you know it's good to you're you're playing something challenging of course you practice it and you get better and stuff but there's there's a much longer arc where the things you're working on or the concept you're considering it's like they find their way in and they're integrated when they're ready to be sure. and it's like it takes a lot of patience and security which are yeah two kind of newer traits for me yeah because you kind of yeah. When you start learning, you kind of get this curve, and then you yeah. kind of plateau out, and it's that kind of mm -hmm. steady increase as opposed to spikes. Yeah, I guess. And um, was it was this one of your first bases? What, what I mean, what did you get when you started out playing? Um, I mean, I bought myself a Hondo <coughs> P base copy when oh. I was twelve, um, and then I had an Area Pro, which is the same. <coughs> it's kind of the same model that John Taylor and Duran Duran had. The soap bar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. I'm not I, actually. I would not. Not that I was a super fan of Duran Duran. It just okay. happened to be that it's okay. base. Yeah. If you no, were, it's okay. I, actually, I, I will. I will say. Actually, I'm. I'm I, I came to appreciate them after. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Oh. It's okay. Sorry, I wasn't talking to you. Oh wow. Nice. Um. What was I gonna say? Oh yeah, because yeah, my wife actually like has like she she knows every song in the 80s um <laughs> every song in in the 80s basically she does actually <laughs> like ready for the world had a second album and she knows right okay the singles like and the lyrics wow. and she knows the third verses of those songs that were yeah only released in europe or like <laughs> i don't know she just she knows all that stuff so you guys are both music geeks in your yeah. own relative field yes yeah yeah she really she she I, i've only recently started to listen to lyrics, which is hilarious to her because she's all about the story. Exactly right, yeah. and I, I find that um, I've always been drawn to instrumental music, you know, and started off listening to heavy metal, mm. where the vocals was pretty much another instrument. You yeah, know, you can really figure out what they're saying. You just make up your own version of mm -hmm. it, and so yeah, like the the idea that ninety percent of the music enjoying population, the singer and the lyrics are what they hear first. I mean, I know that now, and mm -hmm. you get into it, but um, it's still not usually my first port of call when I'm listening to something mm -hmm. it's usually the, the the music first and then yeah then I'll kind of check out the vocals and it's you know I don't know if that's maybe a hindrance or not well I wonder I mean you know as with all things there's a it's it's, it's both yeah um I mean I would imagine it's it's interesting is I think one of the things that really draws me to music is that that's one of the places I can go where like I don't know it, where language is not so important actually there's something about um, like it's great to be articulate and to be able to put your feelings and thoughts into words uh, but it's kind of it's 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 been important to me to have a space that's not language yeah um, and even to the point where um, you know if you're on stage with someone like where the singers like actually like part of their thing is like is like kind of calling out things to the band. Like I have to make an effort to like kind of yeah. Like so, someone is actually saying like <laughs> lay out or whatever you know whatever it is. Like I'm not always like receiving on that frequency. Yeah right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah because otherwise I mean I'm. Um, I mean you know whatever that's the coffee too. But you can tell like yeah. Yeah, I, c I can talk. <laughs> hey, that's the whole point yeah. of this thing. So yeah. you're, you're in the right environment yeah. for this, at least. Yeah. So music has been, it's great because that's where I can shut the hell up. <laughs> um, any other kind of um, bass influences that you would say 
you've you've had you know prior to seeing Bootsy and Get Band? Um, we were talking about Jameson in the car on the way over. Was that later on? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have. I would say that my love of uh, Verdine White and Anthony Jackson led me to James Jamerson. Like, I can't. That's claim a cool lineage. To, yeah, I mean, because. Yeah, I had Shaka Khan records with Anthony Jackson on them. Yeah, right. Clouds so, and stuff. Yeah. Wh which one? Clouds. Clouds. Yeah, I didn't actually, I wasn't hip enough to have okay. that one. I had like some of the later stuff. Sure. Um, but I do know Clouds, which yeah. is unbelievable. Um, but he, so I would read Anthony Jackson interviews and he would be talking about James Jamerson. So, and at the time I was, you know, I would listen to Motown and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it just didn't really appeal to me. Sounded like old time pop music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I got to Jamerson later. Um, I think I was into, so early, late 80s, early, whenever sampling and hip hop started, I, I, that's when I started to hear old R&B and funk records through samples, and then I started to hunt down what the samples were. Okay, right. So I think that's, you know, you hear a baseline sample, then you're like, what's that? And then you wind up going to buy a rec an entire record by Slave, or, you know, the, mm. or, and anyway, any, I mean, just, you know, I didn't know about James Brown before hip hop, really. Yeah, right. I went, I, so it's sort of backwards, and I definitely didn't know about Jamerson until Anthony Jackson would talk about him in interviews. Mm. And even then, like, I sort of didn't get it until I got it, and now I got it. Like, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that, that was huge. And yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like Verdine is in there too. There's something about, uh, some of like the I, I'm trying to think I, I would I guess Verdine is, is kind of like Jamers in the Jamerson lineage too I yeah. love Dorothy Wind and Fire yeah there's some some like the like the way he approaches notes and stuff that's got that um, yeah there's definitely that weave, weaving the path yeah, yeah between the chords kind of thing but with a funk, a, mm -hmm. funk attack going on so I think that's how I got to to Jamerson and Verdine he was was he a Yamaha guy? He had a lot. I think he did have a Yamaha. Yeah. Yeah. I think he did. He had he had a, one of these at one point. Yeah, I think so. I remember the the kind of mm -hmm. elliptical fret markers and yeah. stuff. I had this video, like one of those all star bass licks kind of thing. Yeah. And had Verdine White on it and Larry Graham on it and um, Byron Miller. I just I think I just saw some of that on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just popped up the other day. Yeah. Um, everybody's got hair like this. Yeah, it's yeah. Like super 80s. I think he might have been playing a PV or something. He had yeah. some kooky. There were some kooky basses on that video. I saw that. Dude. Just in case they got, he dropped him when he was like 100 feet up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So you pretty much been in New York whole whole life. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn. Grew up in a town called Englewood, New Jersey, which is. Kind of an amazing. It kind of was an amazing place for music. There was a lot of, um, a lot of jazz musicians settled there. Like rather than living in the city, they would, you know, they were like, um, uh, I mean, like famous, like Dizzy Gillespie and George Benson lived in Englewood. Not, not that I knew them or hung out with them or anything, but I mean, like, hey George, they were like, yeah, groceries and stuff. Yeah, I think I saw Dizzy on, on his bicycle once, or maybe I think somebody else did and told me about it. But I've, I've claimed that as my own experience. That's cool. um, but uh, it was definitely that there was a lot of music in Englewood and, and the other musicians in the high school and, and middle school were really, really good. 
and I still there's still certain sort of musical moments and sounds that I'm still sort of trying to they're, they're like these that I still sort of reach for right I just remember from like these amazing singers and musicians and that teacher of mine that the, uh, Roland Wilson like yeah. Um, yeah there's just we were just in the band room all the time jamming and I was the I was the youngest um, like I was in middle school and Roland was just like yeah man come come to the band room and I would just check all these guys out playing it was it was yeah yeah that's pretty huge yeah um, but yeah I think the question was have I been in New York like been in New York. yeah with yeah. a 10 mile radius yeah. sure um, I mean so obviously New York's changed mm. a lot over over those years what's kind of been is there a period where you felt that it was really um, developmental for you? Like you started to really grow in that scene? Started to grow in New York? Or? Yeah, like was there a time in New York where you were kind of like, you know, four gigs a night kind of thing mm. around crazy? Or? Well, you know, Groove Collective had this kind of magical beginning, sort of like what I was saying about the getting signed at age 23 yeah. or whatever it was. Um, so that band started, and because we were working with this club called Giant Step, which was a, a, a very big New York thing, and they still they still do stuff. Um, like our first gigs were mobbed, mm. like we didn't really exist. But because they were already uh, the club that we were working with, they were also promoters. So our very very first gigs were packed. Like so, that's nice. We had a really charmed beginning. Like we just would show up at a club, and then and then we built an audience. So we were playing bigger and bigger clubs. So it was this thing that I, you know, I, it's not that I, I took it for granted, but I I didn't realize till later like you didn't how really know any difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved it. I, I wasn't like yeah jaded. I, I, Good. I mean, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, and it was amazing. But that was that was a time in New York that was really magical for me, and it was. Um, we would just have these gigs, these spaces that were just full of people. We wouldn't start playing until one in the morning. We'd be improvising for a lot of it. That's kind of what I was saying about like me writing as a bass player. Like, so I'm coming up with a bass line that's about to be the basis for a whole song. Right. Yeah. So, so committing and yeah. On so the that spot. that was that was kind of where. That's. I mean, I, I don't. That's. I don't. Know, that's a big part of kind sure. of how I approach things. Um. So that was that was a magical time in New York for me, um, and I think New York is still a magical place. But you know, I've it's in some ways it's somebody else's New York now, or like that. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I live I live in the Bronx now, which is like so I'm not like in sort of Close in the center downtown. in the same yeah. way, and I'm older. You know, I hate yeah. to say it, but it's like it's it's somebody else's You've, like. I mean. Would you really be into starting a gig at one o'clock in the morning and improvising for three hours now? You know, I would be into doing it. I'd suffer the next day when my <laughs> son wakes me up at seven in the morning. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely like, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a different, it's just, a, it's just different for me. Sure. But I'm amazed by how much creative music there is in New York. I'm amazed by um, the level of the musicianship still. Yeah. Um, I mean, I went there for for ten days once, and in that period of time, I saw like Dave Weckl and Mike Stern and mm. Richard Bonner and um, Joe Beasley, well, Will Lee. <laughs> just in the space of ten days, I saw yeah. just all these kind of musical heroes, 
and they were playing like 55 Bar mm -hmm. and, and Blue Note and Village Vanguard and stuff and these clubs that you've heard about and are iconic and then when you go there it's you know like four times the size of this room like it's not yeah. If, you, if you're not from there it's not what you expect mm -hmm. and these guys are kind of like that's their local gig you know be like we've all got kind of local gigs they're kind of like it's the norm for them mm -hmm. the, to play with these guys and play that kind of music and I think that's what's kind of unique about New York is that you have these kinds of players playing week in week out and it's, it's a normal thing mm -hmm. you know whereas Melbourne, yeah, we've got an amazing music scene and great players, but we don't have we don't have that. We don't we don't have the names. Not that it's all about being famous, or whatever. But you know, like it's good to be able to check out a guy in a record and then go and see him yeah. on a Friday night and experience it for real and, and and absorb that. I think I think that's maybe what just keeps New York special is it just keeps feeding itself like yeah. that. Yeah, and then it's funny. It's it's both getting to see people who are your heroes, but also it sort of demystifies it a little bit. Because you see that, like, <clears throat> oh, that's Anthony Jackson getting a ginger ale at the bar after the set. Like you're like <laughs> you're like he both blows my mind and is a dude yeah. who's like and he gets paid his hundred and twenty five dollars. Yeah, cash. <laughs> I mean it's yeah it's it's kind of it's uh, keeping it real. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm you know and I think that's the yeah, musicians always will uh, I don't know where I'm going with this but I was I was gonna say musicians. You know what we always want to play music, um, which sometimes makes us bad negotiators because our first thing is just like, I want to play. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I want you know, I want to. You want to have the experience. Do you want to play or do you not want to play? Yeah. You know, you, you don't. You don't want to be the guy that that doesn't play because mm. you want an extra twenty bucks, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if the, if again, it's an experience you want to have. I guess that's sure. where you'd be picky. Is is you're like, is this yeah. is this a worthwhile thing? And then it's like. Hopefully you're able to make decisions that aren't money based. I don't, yeah, I don't know how we went down this thing. Anthony Jackson and ginger ale. I don't know if he likes ginger ale. I I know he likes James Jamerson. Yeah. yeah. James Jamerson and yeah. Jimmy and ginger ale. Yeah. Um, and do you do you get out much in New York these days to check stuff out? Mm, Not as much. It's I I'm grateful for the nights when I'm out because I have to be, and then I incidentally hear something that blows my mind. Like I I sure. don't. I, I do go out to hear music sometimes. Unless it's like a special, you've got to check yeah. it out kind of thing, but you're not just going to go and hang out. Sometimes I do. Yeah. Yeah, but not tons. I mean, I've always been, it, it's it's funny, I'm sort of a homebody in a way. Um, <clears throat> like, maybe it's a Gemini thing, like I'm simultaneously really social and really introverted. Mm. Um, Bass player thing. Is that true? I think so. Yeah. I mean, we, we want to be part of it, Yeah. but we don't want to be... The, the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And similarly, like, I, um, you know, I love the adventures of, of touring and traveling and sort of all the weird mm. experiences you can have just being in different places. Going but, back to the Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But left to my own devices, I don't, <clears throat> I don't plan, like, crazy vacations for myself where I'm, you know... Because music takes care of all that, really. It's true, but it's it's funny how yeah. But it's funny how I'm both an experienced traveler, but I also like I don't do those things for myself. You know. It's, yeah, yeah. It's no, I, I, I think I get what you mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might not be making sense, but close enough. But I might be close enough for jazz. Yeah. <laughs> and 
So we should probably talk about the Maxwell album because that was I'm mm. guessing that was a pretty big turning point mm. in your career. Um, he was part of, part of Groove Collective. Is that no, right? no. Um, so uh, so Ital Shore was the original keyboard player in Groove Collective. He we started the band together, like okay. well, and w along with eight other people. Um, <laughs> and so he, besides being a keyboard player in a in band in New York, he was already writing with people and and doing things. And okay. Maxwell was one of the people he was writing so with. So kind of going down the producer road a little yeah. bit already. Yeah, and he actually, he wrote that song Smooth for Santana. Wow. So that's kind of like, that's... That's his pension. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that's the direction he shows, but yeah, yeah, it's also his pension. Yeah, yeah. wow, cool. For sure. Um, but yeah, so he, he and Maxwell had been writing together. There's this other... Um, and Maxwell was kind of on the scene back then. He was really young. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he was already seemed to be super, super talented and super focused. Super, like, very, very, like, clear in his vision. And so, yeah, so those guys had been writing together. And, and I, I came in to play that song. And it's the only song I played on that record. But, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Ascension. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Was that, and that was... He'd written the bass line, mm -hmm. and then you just made yeah. it your own kind of thing, yep. jammed around it. Mm -hmm. Can you play a bit? No. <laughs> Do you mind if I don't? No. I wasn't being... Yeah, I'll play for a solid hour for you after, but yeah. Just squeaky <laughs> strings. It's just... Yeah. Just imagine... What, what was it? What was the bass? I think it was this one, or it was the black version of this one. Black version say, of So one. it's a BB-3000. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Front pickup. I think so. Yeah, might yeah. be both best. Still, it might have been before I, before you, I made them made the switch. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. And so off the back of that, um, did it open up a bunch of doors or not? It must not have. Immediately. I, th I mean, I think it's like. Um, it it must have. Uh, I can't think of anything specific that did, but yeah. it's like it's a it's a it's a great story to tell. Like. If someone's just like, what's that guy who looks like he's 12, like, like really, you're going to hire him to play the bass? And then you're like, oh, I play on Maxwell's. Like, it's, it's definitely, it, it's a bit of a it ticket. reassures somebody that I might know what I'm doing. Because I, like... Even yourself. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, when I was 25, I looked like I was 11. So <laughs> it really, it's, yeah. I was not seven feet tall. I did not have dreads. I, it was, yeah. I was not the guy. When you hear the music doesn't quite balance up with the yeah. the, the no, guy that laid no. down the, the no. flat bass line, but... Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you've had a, quite a lot of studio experience, mm -hmm. most of it in New York. Have you done some stuff out west in LA at all, or Nashville or anything? Those are the big Neither. Hubs. I don't think I've ever... I mean, I've been to both cities, but not, not recording. Yeah. 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 Um, was that through a producer or engineers that you knew in the studios? Which the recording that I yeah, do? Yeah, the, re the recording. Yeah. I mean, it's just probably. I think it. Uh, you mean where? Why I would get called to do things? Yeah, yeah, like you know, because it's one of those scenes that no matter where you are, it's kind of like it's really hard to kind of. Yeah, get I mean, into, I, think I think it's just the you know just just the social musical the circles. It's the yeah. He's involved in that project. Need a bass player. And yeah, it's just it's just the word of mouth thing. Getting to know people. Yeah, being known around town. Yeah. For for what you do and doing mm -hmm. it well, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, and you've played a little bit with Mark Juliana. Yeah. Is that in his project or? I have played in his project a bunch. Okay. Um, 
at different times. You know, do you know Chris Morrissey? Do you know that name? I don't know that name, no. He's a New York bass player he would love. Okay. Yeah, he's really, really fantastic. Um, so when he's not around doing Mark's beat music thing, yeah. I'll sneak in. Okay, play I've, well, I've definitely seen him play. Yeah. Quite a tall guy. Mm, no? I don't know, Average? I think, I, yeah. Is he tall? Is Chris tall? He's got a very tall vibe. Yeah, sure. He's a, he's a big presence. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, so so um, so I've done I've played Mark's project. Mark and I played together um, in a, there's a Dave Douglas project where we did two records and there's a thing Trump, called High Risk. Trumpet player. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I played a lot with Mark, and yeah, he's one of my favorite musicians. Yeah, I mean, at, I remember the first time I saw him play. Obviously not live, but just on kind of one of those new voices, new sounds, mm -hmm. new approaches. Not completely. You can see some of the lineage, but just definitely captures your your attention what what's it like to play to play with somebody like that is it the same as playing with anybody else you know it just ends up sounding different you just apply the same things i guess so i mean it's i don't know how to put it into words i just i sort mm. of know him and i know his personality and i really value him and like he plays things that make me smile and that surprise me and also things that just feel really good like just yeah um <clears throat> It's 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 funny. It's yeah. It's hard to put it into words. But there's, um, I know his sound. I know what it feels like to play. Yeah. To play music with him. Um, you know, I've definitely learned a lot about. Uh, like he has, he is he is a super, uh, precise time sense, and the way he's able to move phrases around. I'm sure. I I'm you know I'm not sure. I know that I've gotten a lot better and had to get a lot better at, at kind of being my own center. Yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking about asking, you know, because it's very, I, I used to find it was very easy when the drummer would suggest a new mm. one or accent something. As a bass player, our role is to mm -hmm. instinctively to go with that. You know, if he goes, okay, this is one, I will just instinctively latch onto that. And um, I had, a, I had a kind of regular jazz trio gig for a while and the drummer was killer drummer and he used to do that all the time mm. because he knew <laughs> that he would mess with me. Yeah. And then he'd switch back and go, this. Oh. so yeah, I mean, how, how, how do you go about keeping that in a metronome and stuff? I get, do you kind of learn some of his language and you can, have, you can kind of hear what he's saying and go, oh, you know what that is? Sometimes, I, mu I must have. I mean, I've definitely, uh, I've definitely gotten better at it where I can kind of be myself in those situations um, and kind of be more kind of kind of be more grounded even when when things are going on that that are rhythmically unfamiliar to me I think it has to do with really getting to know someone's clock like hmm. like Mark's time is like he's on grid if he's suggesting something new it's it's within like he's not off it's just yeah it's just in a different place than you might expect sure um, you know, there are some drummers who it really breathes, so you have to sort of have to get a sense of what someone's clock is in mm -hmm. a way, and then you can kind of judge like was that was that a different subdivision or was that a very was that a was that like just a, a later a yeah. later beat or was that do you know what I mean like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah it takes it takes a while to sort of is is he. <laughs> it's hard to maybe phrase this but like is he aware of yes the impact that he that that can that will have on the players around about him and will he ever try to does he like help you out if you know what I mean 
or he, is it just like I'm just going to say what I'm going to say, and you guys kind of join no, me at the end? No, he's super interactive and okay. a really, he's a really supportive player, yeah, cool. also. Yeah, because there's also guys who will just do it and not kind of, mm. you know, can be concerned about those three or four other guys who got to try and fit in. Yeah. Um, no, I mean he's super. He's without like, without like overstating things or like really marking the time and like sure. it's always going to be musical. And sort of it's and his sound, but he's also super supportive and super yeah. interactive. Yeah. So yeah. But it's it's a new. It's sort of what you said, like from from where I was, or, you know, from musically. You know, the first snare is two, and the second snare is four. Like, <laughs> what? You no, know I mean it's like. So stop, like, stop, stop. Yeah. Two and four. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's so it's like a loud snare. It's like. That must be the two. Like, I mean, I'm I'm maybe more sophisticated than that, but not by a lot. Like, I'm definitely like that's. Well, well I mean, ha having roots and funk and soul and and rock and R and B. I mean, you're drawn to that mm. that feel. Yeah. So yeah, it's only natural. I think it was like the first time I started checking out any kind of Latin music. Mm. I got that book, Funkifying the Clave and stuff, mm -hmm. and and not playing on beat one. Just yeah. blew my mind. <laughs> and I think the the real challenge is, um, and not you know, just people I've, you know, not just people I've given lessons to, but my my challenge too is to, is to be comfortable enough to, to um, bring bring your normal relaxed time feel to challenging situations. Like just because you're challenged doesn't mean like suddenly you're at in the front on the front of your chair like playing on the edge of the beat okay, yeah. to show like I know where one is like to still be like relaxed and like playing the like the long like play longer phrases still have a big sound yeah I think a lot of times challenging situations bring out like my pointier sound and my less relaxed feel if I'm not yeah you're on I don't edge. remember yeah you gotta it's it's a challenge to just still be yourself in yeah I mean a, a great example of that I think would be Tim Tim Lefebvre does, mm. does that kind of no matter where he is I mean, yeah. you know that you feel challenged in a lot of situations but yeah he d he has that same feel in, in, in most things that he does I think mm -hmm. even in the Tedeschi Tedeschi's truck stuff yeah you know? yeah definitely yeah um, do you have any advice or maybe um not necessarily advice but kind of like trains of thought that maybe people can can try in terms of tone and how important that is to to the rest of the band and, and to how you play your instrument because i know in a lot of my my students lately we've been looking at some some pcs some michelle and diggy ogello stuff mm -hmm. who i know you've been privy to up close and how the articulation and the tone of that is, you know, it's 50% of the feel mm -hmm. of that groove. Um, and playing the right note at the right time is only half of the story with a lot of that stuff. Where the bass is, like what you're saying, bass is such a big part of mm -hmm. the song. You know, you've got a beat and you've got the bass line and then you've got a melody on the top and that could pretty much be the song. So if you don't have the tone right for that, then you're not really, you're only halfway there. Um, do you have any suggestions as to how to go around developing that? And then also, 
Sorry, this is kind of a long yeah, question, yeah, but okay. you know, like we're, we're we're chameleons, you know. We have to fit into different musical situations, and mm -hmm. this tone for that song doesn't necessarily work for that guy and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, just having that, being able to hear the thing and go, okay, I need to do this to fit in mm -hmm. to that. Like, is there? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, I think. Um I think it's sort of, I think you sort of have to lead with kind of intention rather than trying to decode and like extract the data from a performance. Like you have to, before, um, like I've had conversations with people who are just like, now how do you approach if you're going to play dead on the beat or slightly behind or, or like, like to, I, I feel like um, talking about it doesn't help as much as kind of listening a lot and <clears throat> if there's something, this this is the first part of the question. We were talking about how do you um, start to develop like a sound that'll have the impact you want. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like it has to do with really just like listening a lot and um, kind of letting it seep in, <clears throat> like mm. spending spending more time than you would think just as a listener and like really, really focusing um and then kind of leading with the trust that it that it made it in and then when you're when you're playing just kind of i don't know it just starts to kind of seep in there yeah the conversations that like i've had lots of conversations about this with people and i'm not confident that a conversation has ever led to anything besides sure. more conversations <laughs> um but i do think like listening is yeah is it um and maybe also, you know, and recording yourself. Yeah, re recording yourself and yeah. hearing that back in context, which again is listening. Yeah, I mean, and then like, the thing about recording yourself is e even um, kind of tricking yourself into seeing yourself in the mirror and not realizing mm -hmm. it's you and getting a clear look at, like, even maybe even just having. I don't know if it would be having it on in the background or something and mm -hmm. hearing like what had impact and what didn't and what's sitting right and what didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, I don't having, know ha just having that analytical ear. But uh, And you build up that analytical ear, I think, I'm trying to help, help out here, by mm. having that library of music that you've listened to enough. Yeah. So you've listened to all this music so that when you listen to yourself, you have kind of all these reference points that you can go, okay, that was bit of that and that was a bit of this coming through mm. but even beyond being analytical, analytical <laughs> like just to, to like like true immersion and really mm. like just trying trying to receive what's what's coming through on an energetic level or what the intention of it or what the like what the pulse is like what the yeah what the no <laughs> yeah, um yeah like I, I think there's just something that seeps in that's that's beyond like all right, this note goes here and that note goes there, and, yeah. Because um, you know, there's this uh, there's there's this bootleg. Uh, there's this Prince song called "Do Me Baby," and I think it's Andre Simone on bass. And there's um, there it's I, I don't know. I can't really explain what it is, but there's this one bass pluck and there's a placement of it. And I've just I've listened to it a lot, and I'm like, in ten years, I'm gonna be able to put a note right there like there's a spot and I'm just like yeah. I can't do it now like I, I don't have that my clock doesn't <clears throat> I can't really I don't know I don't know if it's a mixed thing or if it's this bootleg of Doomy Baby where like wow. Andre Simone plays the bass and it's um, 
I, I can't play. I don't even know what key it's in or yeah. anything. But it's just, just like, bing. It's just this. Just where it it's is. It's really simple, but it's like the placement and the sound. It's just like it's 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 the baddest thing of all time. Yeah. Um, and even on the record with Prince playing the bass is is it? But there's this one bootleg where it's like. But um, I've just listened to it a lot, and I'm like, it's gonna, I, it's it's coming, it's coming in this direction. <laughs> I don't know when, but. At the wrong time, probably. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Bang. Yeah, basically. You're like, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, what and what was it like um, being being part of Michelle's thing? It was great. I mean, I didn't. Um, I did not realize what a force she was until I was like in front of her amp while she was playing, and I was just like, "Oh God, that's like," you know, because the records are amazing. Yeah. Um, but when you're standing next to someone, you realize like that's a person making that sound. Like it's not just like a cool record. Like that's yeah. a human being. Like, um, I loved it, and I loved her. Like, were you playing like second bass kind of thing? Like the, the um, David no, Dyson short robot. No, sorry, that's <laughs> baseball. Yeah, I don't, I don't know enough. What's baseball? <laughs> yeah, I, I could ask the same question. Um, yes, I actually I think David Dyson was in the band right before I was. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's exactly that. Wow. Like where. I would play bass for basically the whole show, and then she would play a couple of like super heroic things, and then I would play, play more bass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was great, and it's just you know YouTube is amazing because you can not only see someone play, you can see the people that you who's playing you love. You can see them. You can see the body language, and mm. you, that's that's another way of kind of really taking in the intention playing of something. Intent. Like you yeah. see what their body is doing when they're not playing. Mm. So you can, that's their, that's their clock. That's it's the internalized. Pulse. Yeah. You know, when you're just listening to the audio, you're sort of, you're like trying to reverse engineer. And yeah, like, yeah. How, how does the person come to that? Um, so being in the same space as her and being like, oh, like, wow, that's how she's feeling that. Like that's, or like seeing a, like some concert of Verdine White, and you see that he's dancing in double time, which is. <laughs> I don't he's feeling the 16th? Yeah. Um, Maybe just watch it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I must be making all kinds of weird. Smash that in there. I bet you heard me drinking water really well, too. Yeah. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. We'll sample that. Yeah, cool. <laughs> but, uh, but I think that was. Yeah. It's cool because it's like. Obviously, I was a fan of hers. Like, how can you not be a fan yeah. of Michelle DiGiocello? Um <clears throat> But because I played with her for a couple of months, I got to spend more time with that music than I would have as a listener. Like, mm. you know, you listen to something, you're like, great record. And then you're, you move on to but your you day. you yourself in yeah. it. Yeah. It's like I got to really know that music and spend time with those musicians. And the rest of the band was also at a really high level. And that was, that was definitely educational. Yeah, cool. Yeah. It's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, do you quick talk a little bit the your pedals yeah. set up? You mean the ones that aren't working? The ones that aren't working yeah. and make a who knows why. But yeah. we not we don't necessarily talk about these exact ones, but um what are your what are you going for color wise when you're putting together a board or whatever? Like what's your kind of go to um vibes? I mean I use a lot of reverb. Mm. So I have, just, have you always done that or is that mm. You know, I've done it in the in the studio. It's only recent where I've actually been sort of hunting down pedals that would give me a yeah, really right. good spring reverb. So, like sound. when you, just when you're playing like a regular bass line, you'll have a bit of reverb on there. Not often. No. Okay. Yeah, more like when I'm, uh, if if there's something I'm doing, like 
you know, anything chordal or stuff. There's a lot of stuff on um, different things I've played on where there'll be a couple other parts that happen to be played on a bass, but they're not very bass parts. Okay, gotcha. Um, which I'd, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to get credit for them. Like, oh, listen to that guy, he's playing three parts. But yeah, you yeah, well, wouldn't know their bass, but like there are a couple other cool little like plucky parts or something that are kind of tucked in. Okay. So, <clears throat> you know, for a long time that would be through um, a guitar amp with the, the spring cranked. Yep. Um, uh, and then, and more recently, like I just have made it part of my live thing. Because I also, I, I think the effects stuff speaks better with a little verb on it. Like mm. it just... And spring reverb, that's just my preference, yeah. yeah. Um, so I've always got that sort of ready to go. Mm-hmm. So um, especially if I'm playing a, a solo of any kind, yeah. Um, like or if there's any like fuzz, like I, I like to have the, the verb cool. there. Makes you feel a little bit less exposed, I guess, maybe? You know, it's like it's nice to... I mean, I sort of like to, to use it as part of the instrument. Like, I like to end a note abruptly, but to have the, sort of have the, have Until. it continue on, yeah. So, so reverb I like. Um, octave pedals I've been using for a really, really long time. I still have kind of a, um, like in the studio, I probably always will go to, for a keyboard bass thing. Mm-hmm. But I've been using the sort of, sub octave only thing for a long time and that's that's kind of one of those live adrenaline thing but in the studio no quite n- yeah not always sometimes yeah um so i was oc2 i was using that for years and years and i i think i kind of wore out the sound in my in my brain i love i mean i just was playing through yours i love the sound of it but yeah. i'm really enjoying this this mutron pedal because it's it's just got something different and it's got this little weird kind of ring mod top oh, yeah. thing. So um, I like it. Yeah, I li- it's something different and I like it. So I always have some kind of octave pedal. I always have some kind of reverb. Um, fuzz box. Yeah. Just because who doesn't like fuzz maybe, bass? Maybe a your doom at some point. You know what? I love that pedal, actually. Yeah. I'm really impressed. The wah pedal is great for live. I don't think that would necessarily get recorded i'm not sure but that's that's a really useful thing for i use it for Filters, filter sweeps yeah. more than yeah, I'm assuming, uh, yeah. More, more than your slash impersonation yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah filter some kind of octave some kind of fuzz yeah and a reverb delay yeah. thing and then is there any like kind of wildcard stuff like ring modulators or um yeah i have that i have that bit that the bit reducer that i was showing you earlier that um moor mower whatever it's called that tiny little guy um and i mean i have a you know i have a ton of stuff at home um maestro phasers and space echo and like i've got a ton of this but um yeah for live i this is like you know i've kind of committed to about six pedals that Ruiner Fuzz by, I think it's Devi Ever, or is it Dwarfcraft? I don't know, it's one of those Devi. Um, that's that's a pretty glitchy fuzz, and that's yeah. sort of fun. Um, but I kind of, uh, I have a couple different neighborhoods that I would go to, and one is just like, kind of, kind of replace the bass sound with something big and subby, which I would do with either an envelope filter uses, like with the sensitivity turned all the way down. So you're, so you're not even really treating yeah. it? Yeah that or an octave or an octave pedal plus that 
um, some kind of some kind of dirt, some <clears throat> kind of filter. Yeah. 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 Pretty. And then, and then rig-wise, you're, are you Aguilar? Mm-hmm. Aguilar yeah. endorse E? Endorser. Aguilar endorsed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's mainly rigs or pickups or? Uh, I haven't put the pickups in my base yet and I want to because I did, a, I actually, yeah, I, I have a pickup that I'm going to put in a base. What, um, what base? Is that a jazz P-Base? P-Base. P-Base, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I love the... I love the big heavy rig. I just don't ever want to be the guy who's got to move it. Yeah. So so I've been yeah, when I'm lucky when I'm lucky on the road, I have the 412 and the 751. 412. Yeah. Yeah, right. Tens and me. I don't like yeah. Uh, I don't like tens that much. When I saw Larry Graham here, he played it in Melbourne a few years ago, and he had um, I think he had two DB750s. Really? And he had four four tens. So he had two on stage. Ah. And then he had <laughs> two at the front of the stage angled towards him like like monitors like monitor wedges wow <laughs> you just imagine I mean it's Larry Graham so you go go yeah. whatever it yeah. sounded unreal I bet but it must have been crazy loud on stage I can only imagine <laughs> two 750s and eight ten. wow hats off to the guy yeah hey if you know you get to that age and you're still doing it and his, his show I don't know if you've ever seen him but it's just like I have actually yeah classic entertainment yeah. From, from start to finish yep. still dancing and sweating and into the crowd and all that kind of stuff I mean I um, I don't know this for a fact but I feel like I've been told that Bootsy Collins' approach at least for a time was to tell the sound engineer like I've got the bass, just mix around me. And he would have like thousands of watts on stage, like multiple rigs and all kinds of, <laughs> well, cause he, at one point he had separate rigs for lows, mids and high, or like yeah, pickups. Right. He had like yeah, some okay. craziness going. Um, but the bass was coming from the stage and, yeah. and the sound engineer would be mixing around that. <laughs> like, I don't know yeah. power to, yeah. to keep up. Cause I, I remember that, that same video, the all-star bass licks one, uh-huh. Larry Graham's talking about his effects and that. And he's got this original oh, the jet phase. The muton and the oh, jet phase yeah. for extra added funk. Yeah. I was just like, This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, man, we should probably wrap it up there. Cool. That's been awesome. Yeah, what a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time out. Yeah. Um Jonathan Maron, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Um take care and we'll see you next time. <laughs>